0: Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it.
1: 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all.
0: We survived theater school and you will too. We go to bed so- Are we famous yet? She goes out when we go to bed. Like she goes to see her, her, some of her best, one of her best friends lives here. And, um, so I give her the car and she goes, but it just really struck me that like we're old, like we're, <laughs> we're old. We go to bed at eight and she's yeah. and eight, eight thirty and she's like got like three more hours in her. So I'm like, Oh yeah, just take the car and go. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's just, it was, it was, um, it just hit me. It just hit me.
1: Yeah. It's funny how things like that, you, you, there can just be like a very obvious thing that you do for a long period of time. And it doesn't, like I, the uh, the podcast that's airing today, when I say, it just hit me like everybody's going to die. It's, it. there are just certain things that you can't necessarily, you only understand them intellectually until you understand them at the gut level.
0: Yes. Yes. And I, yeah, and that's just the truth, Ruth. That's just the, the truth. truth. Ruth. How
1: are you doing? Good. So, <laughs> I um have been writing this blog post. Oh my god, thank you. I just yeah. can't
0: mine is not good enough.
1: Well, is it let me ask you this. Is it about something emotional? Yeah. Yeah, because I it's I mean, it Listen, we write very personal things and the those things are are Difficult, and and um, I find it's it's just harder to get your thoughts to get the more the more kind of deeply um, personal something is. I guess the harder it is to make heads or tails of your feelings, and I think also there's something to be said for like the your ability to articulate something being correlated to just your own understanding of it, like how, how much mm-hmm. work you've done. It, there are things about which I can only speak like a five-year-old because I haven't dealt with something since I'm five, you know? Yeah, I just don't want it. It's interesting. It's like
0: as I get more um, – I just feel like there's a leveling up when now when 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 I put something out into the universe that I want it to be a certain way um and out of respect for the writing and out of respect for people's time. And so I just, mm-hmm. just want to throw something out there, you know, like that, that's okay. I mean, I look, people do what they want to do. But I just feel like, if you're going to ask people to read it, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, then then I want it to be a certain way. And it's just not there yet. So you're working on the blog, the substitute blog, which is great.
1: Yes, I'm working on and it's about my dad. And <laughs> so I started to, I had actually already started writing it some time ago so I was just I just picked it as something that I Mm -hmm. could finish and edit and I noticed that I'm working on it and I'm getting really hot and then I start to feel like I'm getting sick and of course in my mind I'm thinking well how could I be sick I have and it wasn't until later that I thought, oh, no, I'm having a somatic response wow. to something emotional, which is I, mo- something I have done and do a lot more than I ever realized, that um, emotions exist in the body. And when you start moving them around, it, it activates something for you physically. I can
0: totally relate. So I know my headaches, you know, because i it's interesting. It's interesting. Since I have moved to Southern California, I have less headaches. I my headaches look. You could say weather. You could say all this kind of stuff. But I know. Look, I've had migraines since I was five, five years old. Okay.
1: Really, mm-hmm. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I knew you had migraines, but I didn't know they started when
1: you were little. So
0: five is the age my mom started leaving the family for periods of time to go travel. Like this is not a mis- this is not a coincidence. So. I think leaving the Midwest and leaving that area has really allowed me to sort of take a break physically from all the somatic stuff that that was re- was stored in my body, um, based on my childhood. So I still get them; they're not nearly as bad. Um, and also, I'm taking care of my health better, so that helps. But I know that it's that it's. It's detaching from from the, my my childhood in a way, or moving through that stuff, that is really contributing to my headaches going away. I'm not like, you know, I don't take a different meds. I'm not. It, it, mm-hmm. It's it's all that
1: stuff. So wow. So okay. So yeah. it's funny. It's like your body gets better at do at processing emotions so that they don't fell you in the way of a migraine and right around the same time as your body is naturally just falling apart so right you're always feeling crappy, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. The body falls apart at like 40, between 40 and 50. And, and then we, you do everything in your power if you're, if you want to, to, to take the bull by the horns and like try to stop that. But at that same time, you're also having realizations that are freeing you from other things. It never ends. It's in a cycle of. You know. It
1: never ends. We're always unfolding. That like is b- so true. Like a blooming onion from Outback Steakhouse. Oh we my gosh. And then we're fried. We're fried <laughs> in the oil of life. I love a good analogy. It doesn't really Which is that, um, I think I do remember the monologue that I did for Showcase. It, uh, only because i i mean i know that i did this i there's a monologue that i know i did and i remember it really well still which tells me that i did it a lot um it was the char- the character was in her 40s so you know <laughs> it, it it's inappropriate only because there's no there's no way i could have done it well i don't I don't remember what my performance of it was, but as I'm reading through it now, I'm realizing, like, I, I, I'm sure I had no idea what it was about. I, I'm, you know, even if I read the play and had the context or whatever. So the monologue is from of play that I love called Old Times. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And it's such a great play. And um, is that Pinter? Yes. Yes. And it's the monologue. At the, do you, so you you know the story. It's these. It's a couple, and then the friend from college comes to visit, and it gets a little weird. And then there's this question mark. Did the husband and the friend have an affair? Up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the end, this character Kate has this monologue, and she says, "I remember you. I remember you dead." <gasps> I remember you lying dead. Anyway, so it's this whole thing about, and the and the, it's obviously up to interpretation, but one of the most popular interpretations of the play is that she, Kate, killed both of them and she's having like a psychotic sort of remembrance of it.
0: Oh my God.
1: So I performed it last night for my little group and it went so well. It really went so well. And not only am I having the realization about the the monologue itself and like the meaning of it, but I'm also having the realization. So, so they ask you before you do it or after you do it, they say, what kind of feedback are you looking for? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really surprised myself by saying, well, I actually, I really love to act and I don't get to do it very much. And I just want to get better at acting because a I, thing that I had been holding on to was that nobody there thought I was a good actor because they never cast me in anything. (laughs) But I never put myself out there as an actor. You know, I I was constantly like writing and directing and, you know, so people only, you know, if you tell them this is who you are, then that's what they think you are. And I remember in the past being you know, being in certain circumstances and people saying like, I didn't know you were an actor and just being so mad that, mm. wow, why, why, you know, why didn't you know that about me? Instead of saying, yeah, why didn't I tell you that about me? What's why? What, what's this? It's like this thing I've been holding to some pre- it's So precious. Like I want it so bad mm. that I can't pursue it. <gasps>
0: Right, and also there, there. I wonder if there's like you wanted it so bad, and then after you studied the thing you wanted so bad, you didn't do the thing you wanted so bad. Like you did for you went to San Francisco, but it wasn't like uh, yeah, no,
1: I, I you feel, didn't go
0: balls out like honestly, I'm going to LA. I
1: and after listening, I would say the uh, I'd like to know what you think about. It. I think the average eight, time that it takes, except for the exceptional people you know, to be plugging away at, you know, having your day job and going to auditions after you have your age, it's like seven, eight, I was going to say 10
0: years. Yeah. 10
1: years. I, first of all, I moved to a place where I could never have, done, I could only have done theater and even that there was not that much of it. I never tried to get an agent. Um, So I never quote unquote got work. So I, I, I literally didn't look for work and then told myself I couldn't find any work and gave up. Right. Right. That's a whole different. (laughs) Why did I do like that? It doesn't make, it makes, I worked so hard at bartending. I worked so hard at being a cocktail waitress. Why couldn't I give any of that energy to the thing I really wanted to do?
0: That's a great question. I mean, like that is the question of, of the theater school, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of, I survived for you. Um, Mm -hmm. that's your question. And, and, and I think that you'll uncover you're uncovering it. And I think that, um, I always say, I think that, yeah, my, my sort of, I have great visions for other people and my vision, my vision for you would be that you would get an agent in New York until you can move to LA or whenever you want and start at it again and try it. You have great headshots, great headshots that look like you, that are professional, that look beautiful. What do you have to lose by sending them out to? And you can use, yeah. I can hook you up with my agent in New York. I mean, my agency here has an office in New York, and I could say, hey, take a look at my,
1: my, my, you know, one of my besties material. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's certainly, um, it's certainly something to really unpack. Just, yes. I mean, just really like, I think. Uh, I think another thing that we've heard a lot of people talk about their experience of going to theater school is the majority of people were acting their whole lives, you know, and we were always the best ones in our school or the best ones in our class or whatever. So there wasn't, I think most people go all the way through high school only being told you're really good at this, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you're an Amy Farrell and you go to, you know, performing arts high school and it's like more competitive and more real, and everybody's really good. Um, if you just want to, you know, from your hometown high school, you think, so you net, so you don't start to face the reality of like the limits of your talent, let's say, until you go to school. And I think I let that just completely dismantle my ambition. Ambition. Just, right. 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 Just, just entirely that. And the fact that, you know, sometimes the thing that that you really love to do is not the thing that people are really pushing you to do. You know, like people were always pushing me to be an administrative person because I can really something. Yeah. Or people pushed me to be um, a therapist, you know, because I I'm good at that. It just, but when the thing that you really love to do isn't maybe the thing you're best at, but also the thing that people are encouraging you to do, I just, let it, I just let it die. And, and now I'm, I think creating this podcast with you to, in part, I'm sure what I was hoping to do is get back to this place of figuring out, yeah, oh yeah, this is what I originally wanted to do. I, I originally wanted to act. This was the original way I wanted to express myself. Right, right. And, and we're
0: revisiting it. So that's really good. And I always say, you know, just because I always say, just because you're good at something and just because people want you to do it, and, and doesn't mean that that's your thing and blowjobs mm-hmm. are a prime example blow yeah <laughs> right, 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 right. yes yeah, so. exactly no. hey let me run this by you okay. i think it's a huge gift i sort of uh-huh. feel i'm 45 still um, i sort of feel retired from the game of the chasing of all the things and feeling terrible. I feel a little bit retired from that, which is great. Um, but you know, I did want to talk about the FOMO thing. Cause I think it's really interesting.
1: Yes. Yeah. So tell me about your experience of FOMO. Well, Here's what's interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot because people talk about it a lot on
0: the podcast. A lot of actors, a lot of uh, creative people, a lot of humans, I would say, feel this fear of missing out on things. And I've known a lot. And I think the, the theater school was a huge uh, sort of uh, FOMO monument. factory. Yeah, FOMO factory and a monument to that. Um, fear of missing out casting, fear of... I it's interesting that we're talking about like ambition and and dreams about and how they get stunted because I feel like my fear of missing out from such a young age was I was so stunted in thinking that I didn't deserve the experience of fun of um, being cool of being wanted loved liked. So I just shut that part down so I didn't necessarily I don't I I have it now but I didn't have a fear of missing out. I had a such a rock bottom um um core belief that that was for other people. Fun was for other people. Successes for other people. Beauties for other people. That I didn't feel missing out. I just felt that I was never ever going to be included in the first place.
1: I feel 100% the exact same way. And when I was, I guess when I was in high school, that did work for me a little bit because I think if I had believed that I could be whatever, a a popular kid or so, I probably would have gone down a very different path. I think it's somewhat of a gift to, to not, as you're forming your personality to not be, um, you know, not to get into the rat race of like pressuring yourself to to be something that you're not going to be, but uh, yeah, it you also miss out on <laughs> your fear of missing out is the thing that makes you miss out,
0: right? And 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 I felt, um, I, specifically at the theater school, I felt that I did have a co- fundamental core belief that everyone else was having more fun. Um, but I also felt that they deserved to have more fun because they were more worthy. So, so like we're saying, my core belief that I didn't deserve to go for it, that I didn't deserve to have ambition that I, but secretly it was there. Of course it was there. I mean, I'm a human being. So it was sort of this thing of like, when we went to LA, I sort of knew no one was going to have interest in me. So I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even – my. you know what? I had such low expectations that – and probably they were created so low to, to avoid rejection, disappointment, and humiliation. So that was how my personality was formed.
1: Yeah, I I think about that. I had the this, this same series of thoughts going into show – going to L.A., I thought this is, I mean, I'm going to do this because it'd be crazy not to, but there's no way anything's going to come of it for me. So I'm just going to have fun. And I did have fun, actually. I really did have fun. And I, and I think I told you, I I took a lot of pictures and so on. And it's really interesting to look at these pictures and to, to me, people's psychology is even clear in, in pictures, you know, or, or even maybe it's more just the dynamics. And of course, it's people that I knew and I knew what was going on. But in every picture, I think, oh, yeah, you can just see it on her face. She, right. she, they, she, This person has put all of their eggs in this basket. And sometimes that worked out for that person and sometimes it didn't but uh, uh, yeah i was not i was pre contemplation with fomo i also thought that i never had fear of missing out and in in the way you're describing it yeah but it, it's it's almost like the worst kind of fear of missing out <laughs> you know you don't even know how afraid you are of well, missing out right and in when you have
0: fomo when you have fear of missing out there is a sort of sense that you're at least in the game mm, yes. i just took myself out of the game Right. So if you if you have options and you're and you're trying to pick the best option, at least you know you have options of yes. which party to go to. Yes. I just said I'm not going to any party. And and my showcase <laughs> right. experience was really, really miserable in that I was with a new class, right? So it wasn't my old class. I drank, I had friends outside of the, out of the theater school that lived in LA, two friends from Shakespeare and company. And I just, yeah, I stayed with them. So I was removed. I removed Uh, myself from the class and then I just got really drunk and like multiple nights and, and was alone. It was really depressing. It was really quite, it was hungover. It was really quite depressing.
1: Do you remember how you were I just had this flash when you said you were staying it hanging out with your friends I had this flash of you being like yeah whatever it's just this st- stupid showcase like I don't care I could, sure. I could see you pretending like it wasn't a big deal as a way of
0: I'm sure and I'm and, and I'm sure I'm sure that I talked so much shit about it and yet and yet, it was the thing I really wanted, and that's where that John C. Riley story happened. Mm-hmm. Um, for people that don't know, I I met John C. Riley. He complimented my monologue, and I proceeded to vomit um, terrible things about Boogie Nights, the film, about how I didn't well, not terrible things, but just like talk shit about a film he well, was in, a,
1: a lie that you never saw, a
0: film and I never, never saw it. Tried. So it was so deep on so many levels, but it was a miserable time because I. Created a miserable time for myself. I I don't blame anyone else for that at all.
1: I- Correct. Yeah. And by the way, that is also f- healing or freeing when you can let go of a resentment. Like I, I put so much into my resentment. Uh, the school didn't, you know, I had that whole thing about like the school didn't properly promote right. me or the blah, blah, blah. Never once saying... No, you didn't think it was going to work for you. So you didn't treat it like something that was important. And I'm not suggesting that if I had to do it all over again, I would go and take it super seriously. We've also talked to many people who cried on the plane ride home because they just felt that their life was over. But maybe if we could have had the middle path, I mean, we've also talked to people who thought, well, you know, we'll just see what happens and they go and suddenly they're taking meetings. And I don't know, man, the answer for us is so often like, it had just been better to go. We went so far in the direction of not taking it on, not get, you know, not even making yourself a contender. And if the other end of the spectrum made people feel crazy, I just wish we could have found a middle ground. Middle, uh, I know there needed to be also a whole class or a whole something uh, just about Maybe there was, I don't, what I remember about that audition class Mm -hmm. was the, the fundamentals learning where you're supposed to stand and learning where you're supposed to look. I don't think I learned if, if somebody asks you for a meeting, here's what you do. If somebody doesn't ask you for a meeting, here's what you can do. If you know what I mean? Yeah. There wasn't a a lot of
0: ownership. Yeah, like, and options of what to do. So that's what I teach my kiddos. You know, is like we develop a two minute personal pitch. We we because it's like, how how can we take ownership if things go our way, and how can we take ownership if things don't go our way? And like you said, like how can we ask someone for a meeting if they're initially not that don't seem interested in us? Can we say? You know, blah, blah. Like, I'm really proud of myself. So, there's, there's, um, I'm doing this more now. There's a, you know, there's a woman who's part of a Facebook group that I'm in that seems really interesting. And she's a manager, right? For, of actors. And I wanted to meet with her um, thinking, well, maybe I'd need an acting manager, but also she just seemed really interesting. And I, I reached out and she said, I just need to tell you, I'm not taking on new clients. And at first I was like, oh, well, she's totally not interested like this. And then I said, you know what? Let me see. She does consultations for actors. I'm like, maybe my students would want to do, like, mm-hmm. let me. So I said, hey, no problem. Let's still, can we still do a Zoom so I can find out more about you? Instead of just going, oh, yeah. she doesn't want to take me on as a client, which means she's not." interested which means I shouldn't even take her time up and I'm like wait a minute no 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 there's and it goes back to what you're saying about back in the you know that you've been saying which is if you invite more people into the process and make them teammates rather than bosses or underlings if you make them part of the organization of you then you you have a fuller life and there's more options yeah
1: absolutely
0: we talk with Bridget Quibido. Bridget has had quite the journey. She took a leave of absence from the DePaul Theater School and then ended up graduating from another theater school and then went on to get her master's in fine arts in acting from yet another theater school. And now she's a practicing therapist in Southern California, as well as a Feldenkrais practitioner and lecturer and teacher. So please enjoy our conversation with Bridget Quibido.
1: You you have already freed your natural voice okay, and it's lovely okay. as it is. Hi, you guys, Bridget Quibbido. Yes. Hi, Hi there. And congratulations,
2: you survived theater school. I did. I did. I did seven years, two theater conservatories, and a liberal arts theater program. But somewhere, you, wait, but wait, somewhere, wait, wait. I've got a diploma with my name on it in a closet somewhere. Yeah. So you went to CalArts right after DePaul?
1: Um, well, yeah, what was your story? Tell I because I we were trying to remember and to be
0: transparent. I was like, I lived with this woman. <laughs> I adore this woman. But now reading your bio, I was like, what in the world? What was her
2: journey? So tell us. So I by the end of my second year um, at DePaul and I always mix up. CalArts and DePaul, you guys. So, so oh, you'll, have to, you'll have to be patient with my sometimes I'm remembering something from here and it was really from over there. But after my second year or by the end of my second year at DePaul, um, I was really, really struggling my, psychologically. My anxiety was through the roof. Um, I, I really, looking back, I had no sense of self was was what I can see now that I didn't I couldn't see then. Um, And my my reference point for myself was was like outside of myself, I would walk through the lobby of the theater school or through the theater school neighborhood. And and it wasn't like I was feeling myself walk through the lobby of the theater school or feeling my body walking through Lincoln Park. It was like I was being watched by someone from the faculty. Like that was my reference point of who's seeing me, what are they seeing, what are they thinking. And so understandably, my anxiety, my shame was paralyzing by the time i got to the end of my second year um so i requested a leave of absence and they were actually very very encouraging of me taking that my intention was take a year go someplace heal come back and i I fully intended to come back that was part of the deal Um, But I left and I, well, I stayed and Jen, that's when we lived together. I was actually at DePaul University, not the theater school for that first semester of us. Yeah, yeah, of us living together.
0: Coming back to me. And
2: I took, um, I took anatomy and uh and biology and i and gymnastics DePaul had a really cool gymnastics program you guys with like with like balance beam like flipping up on a balance beam and parallel bars and and the whole the whole thing so i did that for a semester and I'll, i'll i'll tell you guys like what led to those choices but i did that and i started looking at going abroad Um, And I found this little liberal arts theater school in, not theater school, sorry, little, little liberal arts college in New Hampshire called New England College. And they had a sister school in England. And I thought, well, great, like, sign me up. I'll just go there. And that school had, you would not expect it. It had an incredible theater program. It had a beautiful theater and quality like like Los Angeles like film school trained theater faculty at wow. an amazing theater program. So I was there for a semester. I went to London for a semester, came back, graduated from new England college. Um, and then, and then went to Cal arts. So then I got my, oh my I, God. I thought, Ooh. I thought about going back to DePaul for graduate school and I could feel that it wasn't, about me. Like if I were going to go, I was going to prove like I got better, I feel better. And I, I didn't want anything to do with that. And so I, I just picked a new path and went to CalArts. And uh, it's, it's interesting how it all, how it all came together jen you want to say something so i don't want to keep talking
0: no no please keep talking i'm just in awe of the the
2: details that are coming
0: back to me and um and also remembering that you had an anatomy coloring book (laughs) That I thought was so cool. And I remember thinking you were so brave to go and to do take a leave of absence and do what you did. And also, I'm just curious about the, we talk a lot on the podcast about sense of self or Gina and my lack of sense of self oh, as well. Man. And i've never heard it put quite that way where it was like i didn't feel like myself walking in the neighborhood either and i even i was so anxious and and that i would dream of getting hit by a car so i wouldn't have to go to auditions like,
2: i used to i used to walk down i used to walk from because we that, that apartment was at above potbelly on lincoln with you know i'd walk i'd walk to school from there and i'd pass by i don't know why i remember boston market and i remember I'd look at people sitting inside eating and I'd think, oh, I could be them. I could be just having dinner and I wouldn't have to go. And and why can't I just be having some chicken and cream spinach (laughs) right now instead of having to go to school? But and I and then I knew, like, come on, this is not this isn't okay. I shouldn't feel like this.
1: But did you have the length? I mean, did you I mean,
2: now you're spoiler alert, you're a therapist. But did you at then? Did you know? No. Did you have language for I'm having a psychological no. issue? Okay, I, re- well, I knew I was anxious. I didn't have the language for especially the shame language, which came much, much later. Actually, not until I really started um, until I picked my um, my particular theoretical orientation as a as a therapist, and it is so interesting because if I if I had to say, it's called dynamic emotion focused therapy, the therapy I do or deft. And if you said like five words or less, what is deft? And I might need six or seven words, but I would say, building sense of self with shame sensitivity like that is how I would I love that I love that. it and it, it is exactly what I needed it took me 25 years or whatever 20 years to to find it but it really I love doing this interview because it really brings things full circle for me and gives me that language Gina to be able to understand like oh That's what I was missing. I was missing the sense of self and I was missing the path to it because you can't scare or shame somebody into developing a sense of self and and you can't develop it for them. You know, it's an it's an offer. Does anybody
0: have that born with that? Does that get created? Like, were we the only,
2: I mean. I think, you know, Jen, Jen, the thing I, you know, i talked to, and we'll kind of get to how all this played out, but I ended up talking to Phyllis. I I ended up presenting at the Feldenkrais conference in Chicago about 10 years ago. And Phyllis was in my class, which is so funny. And so she took me out and took me to a place she was directing. And we talked a lot. And then spoke since then because I do and I haven't prioritized it with just life and everything else I've prioritized. But I'm very, very interested in the psychological health of people in theater conservatories specifically, um, obviously, because I, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. invested in that. Um, and I, I spoke with her a bit and, and I spoke with the head of acting at CalArts a bit and and where I'm coming from and looking at this when you say jen does does everybody does anybody have this my guess and i have nothing to base this on except a a, a, i feel educated guess that almost everybody in these theater programs has unresolved trauma and what are we doing as a faculty as an institution to address the unresolved trauma i mean i think more and more that's likely becoming part of programs. I don't know that. I know DePaul stopped cutting people, which my goodness, I talk about like activating unresolved trauma for people, threatened to kick them out. Um, so oh my
0: gosh, yes.
2: So any, anyway, it is something I'm very interested in. Yeah,
1: I, I, as well, you should be as well as many people should be. Actually, I was, my husband is a psychiatrist and I was, he was I was talking to him about it the other day and he was saying there needs to be something like this. And maybe there is a, a person who's a, a real dedicated professional f- for, for the theater school or for a theater school, but also research about, you know, th- because it's true, there is a type of person and it's not just that you're born an artist. That's part of it too. But there is a type of person who I think maybe we're trying to figure out who we are. Yes,
2: yes. I think you're right. Yes.
1: Yes. So how did you get there? How did you get to so, – because you went – you got the MFA at CalArts in acting. So you I, kept with
2: – I did. I actually had also done my Feldenkrais training alongside. Um, I found a program actually on Patrice's suggestion because she had, had recommended a particular teacher. And I found a program that had a, um, a summer schedule for Feldenkrais. So I would go to school during the year and then go to New York and do Feldenkrais training during the summer – every summer for four years. So by the time I finished CalArts, I'd also finished my Feldenkrais training. And, and that, that, you know, Patrice and Feldenkrais, when I I think back to, I don't, I don't have any stories about any, like, you know, uh, anyone abusing me or being terrible to me in the theater school that I think the people that were likely to do that didn't really notice me I mean, I have like some, you know, funny memories of Rick screaming at me a few times, you know, but I don't, I don't have any, um, any real horror stories. I do have a lot of people, and this is why, this is why I'm, I'm so interested in how we come into these programs, because I had a lot of people that I felt were really trying to help me, um, Patrice being one of them. That when i I was on warning my second year, uh, and the the language I don't know the exact language of the warning, but basically it was like you're physically uncoordinated, and you need to figure that out or you have to go um, and and admittedly, like I my closest friend from high school used to say that I was the only person he knew that could be sitting in a chair and just fall out of it. That that was like, and it was okay. it was true. I really it was a thing. Um, but I love what how Patrice as my mentor um, approached that that particular complaint that the faculty had was by casting me in Epsom Downs, which I think you were in. Yes, Yes. Uh, both. Both I I, mean, literally
1: like our entire class was in Epsom Downs. So It's come up so many times.
2: Putting me in Epsom Downs and one of, as you guys know, it has like 50 roles or something played by 10 people or whatever it was and and casting me as the Darby course and making that a gymnastics routine. And working with me tirelessly, this person that could like barely walk without falling over and teaching me handsprings and handstands and carping up from the floor and all these Aikido moves and the faculty could I could do nothing but say, Okay. But, but, you know, after, after seeing me do this, it was incredible. And it was incredible for me personally. It led to me wanting to take gymnastics, wanting to be in my body, loving the Feldenkrais work, really feeling I remember the day I was like on the floor doing this. And I know for most people, these Feldenkrais lessons are so weird, but we're, we're on our bellies and we're doing this lesson where you've you got your your head on yes. your right and you're circling your head around like this, right? And I could feel my feet move when my head moved. And it was like the first conscious moment of my life where I felt my body was connected. and And I fell in love with, the Feldenkrais work, and really started the process of being interested in myself and feeling myself as powerful. And, and I I think she supported what the faculty needed. But I also remember her saying to me, you know, I think you should like, do a sport that involves your lower body, like she was trying to help me seek something. And, and she said, and I, I think you should get some opinions, like go out and and see what you think about things and was really trying. She also suggested Wellbutrin, which was likely a very good medication evaluation as well, but really trying to, to encourage me to go out and get to know myself. Was she your counselor? She was my mentor because we all had these mentors, right? Or there were- Yeah, right. You guys, oh you had to meet with them. You had to meet advisor. Them. We had okay. advisor. Okay, so advisor, whatever that. Was well, what.
1: I wish I had. I mean, I'm like hearing you this. Good, like, It would have been. You Rick. would have had
0: Rick. Rick. In the first it's year the, and the and person then, who tells you about the warning.
2: It well, yeah, but I thought it was. Um, oh, you know what? At CalArts, Arts, we see. I'm doing it at CalArts. Arts. We call them mentor. My experience was, unless I'm wrong, and and my experience was, we had the same mentor throughout. Did it change in? per year. What, what you who, met I don't with know them, what, you met with them a couple times a year or once a quarter or whatever and and it, it would include if you got a warning they were the person that gave it to okay. you this is fascinating to me and I just I'm loving the
0: fact that Patrice was basically a mentor for you yes. I I that you found each other is brilliant I didn't feel like I had anyone like that but I'm fascinated that you did so so she, so that's how you really were able to make the decision to take a Leave or is yes, that yes
2: yes that that I think I really started slow process of getting to know myself and starting to care about myself more than I cared about what people thought about me and and what they were going to do to me if I didn't do what whatever they wanted um so yeah I I that's sad Jen that you didn't have that I think everybody should have had that but wait so and this is
1: maybe too personal of a question so you don't have to answer it but do you, it now knowing what you know do you think that as a kid, you had a movement disorder or you're saying it's all about this shame and just being really yeah, disconnected? I, I from your think body?
2: it was all about, I had a lot of trauma as a kid, but not physical trauma, but I think it did lead to really high degrees of anxiety and shame, which make it impossible for you to be connected to your body. Uh-huh. And that and and I think too, I mean, I, I was always in dance as a kid um, and, and I, lo- I actually loved it. But by the time I was 13, I realized they always placed me like upstage right, like behind a plant in the in the recitals because I was so bad. So that's when I moved to acting because I loved being on stage, but dance was I was not good and I and I knew it. So I found I found something else that I was very passionate about. But, yeah, I think it was more my my general disconnect.
1: Mm hmm. So you figured out in the sec in your third year of college that the theater school wasn't for you. And you tried all these other things. But then did you graduate from DePaul before you went? No, no, I transferred. Oh, the New England, the New England. I transferred
2: and I had a great, again, too, whatever we called them, a mentor at New England College as well. My advisor, my faculty advisor, whatever it was. Um, And she was really great in helping me to identify like what I needed to graduate on time and get me to graduate school because she recognized like you need to go back to one of these programs programs, and and really helped me to be able to graduate on time. And, and funny, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking about, you know, in, in like, well, how did I find DePaul? How did I find CalArts? Because we didn't really, I didn't have the internet at home. And I, I had taken the ACTs in my whatever it was, junior, senior year senior year i think and and did not do well on the math portion of my acts And somehow, I think because I was in speech squad in high school, somehow I got on some list somewhere to get information from DePaul. So I got this little postcard about DePaul. I'd never really I knew I wanted to study acting, but I didn't know any acting schools. And, yeah, I'm down in southern Louisiana and I get this postcard and I call them and get more information DePaul does not require your math ACT scores. They require your English ACT scores and audition and transcript, and that's it. And that was my deciding like I don't have to take this test again. I'm going to this school. And right. and and I didn't I didn't honestly have a clue about how hard it was to get in. So I only auditioned there. I didn't apply anywhere else. I didn't do anything else and by the grace of God got in. But, that, but you
1: hadn't been doing theater in high school. Yes, I've been
2: doing, I'd been doing community theater in high school and, and speech squad, the, the NFL, National Forensic League, um, dramatic interpretation stuff that Jen Kober, I, she actually judged me because she was older than me. So she ended up being part of the, the judging faculty when I was doing these speech competitions when she'd come home on break or whatever. But that's how I found DePaul. And then I was just thinking about how did I find CalArts? I, again, maybe when I was in New Hampshire, we must have had like graduate school pamphlets or whatever, but I must have looked at something really outdated on CalArts because my idea of CalArts was that it was a classical theater program. I thought I was going to be doing like Shakespeare and Greek tragedy. And and maybe it's because Fran Bennett was part of the Women's Shakespeare Company and she was the head of acting. So this is what was in my mind. I'm going to be doing Hippolyta or something. And I get there and I'm like doing, and this is kind of funny, but I I loved this show actually, but I'm on stage. The stage is covered in chalk. I'm all in black. I'm cutting open a mannequin, pulling film, (laughs) pulling film out of the mannequin while someone is projecting Nosferatu on the back screen and someone else is reading Stalin. And then a guy (laughs) flies in, a guy flies in rigged up by fi- fly-by-foy from, from Las Vegas, flies in and does a monologue in the air about having been flown before and being dropped in this huge trauma of breaking all the bones in his body. And all of this is, and these are the kinds of shows. This is what CalArts is. It's this wow. incredible avant-garde program. and And the I had a magical ride at CalArts because of my love for movement. The the first two years I got put in um, guest director, Travis Preston was there. He's now head of the program, I think, or was, but he was a guest director at the time. And he built his shows based on giving you or telling you five, creating five gestures and going through them super slowly. And the, and I know that sounds like, like who would want to watch people going through gestures at a glacial pace, but the entire shows were built upon these physical explorations that the actors did. And they were incredible. We went to the kitchen in New York. We got, we took this first show, Unseen Energy Swallow Space, the one with the mannequin and did a run at the kitchen in New York and i got wow. put in his show the next year and they were and then the the following year again another guest director all this movement based theater who how did i end up in movement based theater <laughs> Did your, that is
0: incredible. Did your anxiety like go down as you got more and more into your body?
2: For sure, Jen. I mean, again, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. And I think it, it wasn't until it's so interesting, you know, what I was saying about sort of this circle that I, I, I'm seeing now that I do this kind of work. And, and when I first went into the therapy field, I was very drawn to these body-based modalities because we know now traumas in the body and there's so much body-based work in therapy. And I loved various body-based modalities that I studied. But when I found DEFT, I knew this is it because it's body and emotion focused, but it's also psychodynamic. It deals with how our relationships from our past get Played out in our current relationships. And that was the piece that my my anxiety really didn't shift until that part of the work was addressed. And I I think that's so important for theater school because it's 100 percent relationship dynamics. That just made me
1: think you talking about the past being connected to the present and the future made me think about your head connecting to your toes. Like it's the same principle that it's that it's that it's all interconnected. Yeah. So you were at CalArts, you were still planning to be an actor as your profession.
2: I absolutely, I absolutely was. Um, And I was loving, I was loving the physical theater um, and loving the avant-garde theater. Um, And then we got into third year and it became about showcase and agents and how much you weigh and how pretty you are. And I just through that year, slowly fell out of love with, I, like, I I. didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be constantly, it, it, it brought back that, oh my God, that constant, how, what do I look like? Do you like me? Am I enough? And And it was so, it's so funny that you said about the headphones, about the um, directing planes, because in my showcase, one of the agents said, and I don't even really know what this means, but it does bring up a memory from DePaul. One of the agents said, you shouldn't be acting, you should be flying planes. And, and I'm not entirely sure what it means, but I do, I do, I do remember sitting <laughs> in that. the strangest it's, note it's, I've it's ever a, heard in my it's life. The strangest note, but I do remember sitting in my, in, in my room, in that apartment above Potbelly with, a, with my script, whatever script I was working with and all these different color pens, it's very anatomy coloring book approach, all these different note cards. And I don't know what kind of like science fair project I was doing, but I had a very, very heady way of approaching acting. And the, and it's so funny because then I'm also talking about how much I fell in love with the, the physical part of it. But it didn't it didn't feel like I guess in that third year, I didn't know where I was going to go with that part of it. And maybe I reverted back as we got into doing scenes and stuff for showcase, reverted back into that really heady approach to acting. And that's that's the only thing I can figure out about the flying planes comment or it means absolutely nothing. And is is not there's nothing to figure out about it other than I should have a different job.
1: Well, so, it does seem like you re- ended up in the right. In the yes, one hundred percent. I I was just going to ask. So CalArts was a three year,
0: yeah, master's, master's degree, as most masters in acting, I think MFAs yeah, are. Yeah. Um. And so by the end of your showcase and all that, had you already said, well, I think I'm more interested in in. Or were you just going to give it a shot as an a-, a working actor?
2: You know, I I was going to give it a shot as a as a working actor, but very half heartedly. I got my headshots. I mean, you needed all of that for showcase anyway. I didn't really have a plan. You know, in my mind, I think I was saying yes, I'm going to pursue acting, but I didn't have a plan. And then I went to a, I was a Feldenkrais practitioner. So I went to a regional meeting of Feldenkrais practitioners in Southern California. And um, during my third year at CalArts, I'd become a personal trainer. That's how I was making money. Um, teaching aerobics, kickboxing, yoga, personal training, that kind of stuff, spinning. And, um, and I went to this regional meeting and one of the... Th- Feldenkrais practitioners there said, you know, I, I own this center and we're looking for somebody who's a Feldenkrais practitioner and also can do therapeutic exercise. And I'm, I'm wondering if you'd want a job. And they hired me as a full-time Feldenkrais practitioner with full benefits, vacation, 401k. So right out of graduate school, I get this full-time job doing Feldenkrais and for me, I had gotten married and was starting to think about wanting a family. And it just felt like, you know what, this working during the day, being home at night, having a stable, steady job, doing something that I legitimately love felt like the right path for me. And the the, the particular place that I worked, we we worked a lot with chronic pain. And I started to realize over the, I was there for 20 years, over the 20 years that I worked there, because I continued to work there up until actually, um, until the pandemic, I would, I was working half and half as a therapist and as a Feldenkrais practitioner. And I, I, but I started to recognize in the early years that the body-based, kind of what I was saying before, the body-based work wasn't enough to really help some of my chronic pain folks, that there was an emotional piece of it that I wasn't able to, and it was emotional and relational. So I wasn't able to help them just through the physical interventions. And I started looking into, um, John Sarno's work and, and, uh, who was a, um, a pain doctor who worked completely psychologically with pain. Oh, the back book. The back book. I have his back yeah. book. And, and in John Sarno's book, he talks about the importance of, um, accepting all of our feelings, including our rage and complex feelings. He emphasizes the importance of this. And I started kind of looking into what, what modalities um, are, are in line with uh, this priority and found my way to a model that then led me to where I finally landed. Went to graduate school and, and started doing therapy, like I said, alongside Feldenkrais, but now, now I'm primarily just practicing therapy. I
1: mean, what I love about your story is it seems like it was just this very um, deliberate and maybe sometimes it felt slow process of just getting to who, who you really yeah, are I agree. And, and to what your special sauce is. Um, but you mentioned giving a talk do you do performancy things i mean do you have that urge for performance and do you fulfill it in any way i
2: love teaching um, and i am on the faculty for the deft institute and i do i haven't this past year i did one zoom presentation i don't i don't love speaking to a room through or not even a room speaking through zoom with everybody at home and their cameras off and I'm like staring at myself on a screen i I, I think it's a, a path to develop I love being live I love being in front of people being in front of a room full of people I do love teaching so I and the great thing about feldenkrais is because it has that um, the hands-on aspect of it but also the awareness through movement aspect so I taught classes on going through the years in in awareness through movement, and now am able to present my work as a therapist and present to other therapists. So I do think I get to, I get to do that. I get to be in front of people and, and just be myself now, which I wow. actually think, which I actually think I, I like more than acting. Although I will say this, I was trying to think of like, which shows, I did when I was at DePaul and I reached out to Jonas and I was like, what was that scene that you and I did? Cause I loved it. And he's like, Oh, Tally's folly. And I downloaded it and read it. And I, I texted him back and I'm like, I want to do this with you. I want to do, I love, I, I still remembered the script and I remembered, I, was, I remembered, I loved doing that show. I or scene, whatever. it's Tally's show. folly. Yes. I loved it and and so that's
1: amazing. I, I that is one of my favoriteest things to do. I know favoriteest isn't a word, but I love to go and find an old script yeah. and sometimes I open it up and I didn't remember that this is a play I did Right, that I was in right. I, so I see the little highlights and you all of a sudden you just start feeling it in your body. It just starts coming back to you. Right. It's, it's bizarre. It, it's so bizarre.
2: It really is. It really is. And then these memories, I reached out to Lougie because I, yeah. because I remember, I remember Trudy Kessler directing us in a show and I couldn't like, what show was that? And all, all I remember was I was supposed to be laughing hysterically and then crying. And I remember like really like not being able to get there and I'm sitting across. Across the table from and going oh my god I can't do this and the distress it was blue window he responded back blue window yeah yeah
0: I, I was gonna say about Feldenkrais yeah people talk a lot of shit about Feldenkrais at the theater school or they did or I, I participated. Know I know I know but I have to say Patrice is, is she wasn't touchy feely, and I'm actually in contact with Patrice now because I work with, um, I work at Depaul. I ah, teach oh, acting. Oh, cool. Okay, so, and she was. But anyway she my, why she wasn't touchy feely she actually took the time to try to help me when yeah. makes sense now it's coming back to me of my warning physically and mm. I think thank gosh someone was trying to do that because it, 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 she was trying to translate it for me about things I could actually do it yes. just said, come sessions come get sessions with me I think what they mean is this and that's the only person that ever did that I'm just yeah. like thinking back now
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I I think Phyllis was also, I think I do remember Phyllis being very, very supportive and nurturing, um, that's interesting that you teach there now, Jen. So you live in, do you live in Chicago? No, okay. I teach
0: on Zoom. I live in LA. Oh, so I wow. teach in,
2: wow. it's just because
0: of the pandemic. I don't think I'd be able to do that if it, when, once we're out of the pandemic, they want people to be in a conservatory sure. in the same city. But it's, it's yeah. fascinating reconnecting with people that I, that are now, I feel like are adults. And I we're know, adults. I know, right?
2: I know, that's, that's how I felt seeing Phyllis again. And I know, and it's we're fun. And, we and really, they're adults. And they're adults. And we really weren't. I mean, we're kids. Like 18, 19, we're so vulnerable and impressionable and scared and eager. And
1: we were kids. All of it. All of it. My lasting memory of Feldenkrais, I think the only reason I would have ever said anything negative about it is it is it—it felt too real at times. It mm-hmm. felt like... um. I felt nauseous a lot when you just re- reminded me of that one with your head that made me so nauseous. And wow. all I can think now looking back is it was some unresolved
2: body. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think if we would have just had an avenue to support that, you know, and, and I think Patrice would have been available for that, but she's one person and she's, you know, doing her job as a movement teacher and it, it just strikes me that it would be it would be such an addition to have real support for all the things that people are talking about with you guys.
0: You know, and it's so interesting because just in talking to my, my students now at, the, at DePaul, they're going through the same stuff. Yeah. It's the same and it's not necessarily, and, and the cut system's gone and there does seem to be a more, um, oh, something approach. But they're still, <laughs> going, I mean, what, what do you want to call it? But they, but they still are going through individually the same things because of the nature of the world, the nature of the work, the nature of what it means to be a performer, the showcase business is still the same, even though it's not, you know, they're doing it on, they did it all on uh, Zoom and stuff like that, but it's still the same feelings on the inside. So, so I think it's interesting to know because I, I have a tendency to be like, well, that was then, right? And that was, we went to a school that was really kind of jacked up in some ways in the 1990s and late 1990s. But really it's a it's also the internal stuff and like you're just opening so many doors to me in terms of in, in my brain of um we the and Gina too we bring in to the theater it attracts
2: a certain type of child Right. Who's going to choose a conservatory? Absolutely. With certain, I did never think about that in my life, that with, it attracted a certain kind of child. Right. Right. And I think with certain relationship dynamics, which is why I think that part of it, someone who's going to seek that kind of training, I, I do think there's something, there's something there that makes them um, especially vulnerable mm-hmm. to being re traumatized.
1: I love to hear that you're in touch with Jonas and Lalji and I'm curious about as you've made peace with the theater school I'm assuming you have um, how, how connection to people that you went to school with has facilitated that or not.
2: You know, um, I, I mean, Lougie I literally just reached out because I couldn't remember the name of that show, but we haven't really kept, I would love to, I loved him and, and Jonas and I, I actually, I talked to Jonas's mom more than I talked to Jonas. So I still have a, a really good relationship with Fluffy and, um, and, and would like to talk to her more. The time zone gets me sometimes, but, but, um, but I've stayed, she's probably the person I'm most connected to from DePaul is Jonas's mom, which, and, and. Jen Cober. Jen lives out here. She's babysat my kids, um, which I can't imagine <laughs> back then. I would have imagined. Granted, they did play like Grand Theft Auto, and they were like ten. But uh, but I have left my kids with her, and she is and she is a part. She's like Auntie Jen, um, so she is she is part of our life. She recently cut my son's hair, um, and so that's probably. And it was great to see Jen when you were before you lived here. She came out out. Yeah, go ahead, Jen. You're a
0: connector. You you were driving the bus on like us all getting together a little bit. And so it's interesting. It, it, it's, not a, it's not a mistake or it doesn't seem like a coincidence to me that as you have worked through your own anxieties and your own stuff and maybe made peace with the theater school, you're more apt to want to connect to people. I feel the same way. Like as we do this podcast and talk to people, I don't so much, I'm not so much afraid of sh- I don't feel the need to shut that part of my life out right. and the people out. So when someone reaches out and is like, Hey, do you remember me? I'm like, Oh my gosh. Even people I had conflict with or like, you know, Christine Crociata, if she, I stole her pants. And if she ever reached <laughs> out, I think I'd still talk to her. Like, I just, I don't feel
2: like shutting the door is hard on no. people anymore. I know. And I do feel more longings than I respond to, which, which is, you know, maybe this, this will shift that, but I'd love Love to be. I was really close to, um, we called her Katie, but I think she goes by Katya now, Nelson, who was in the theater studies program. We we lived together our second year. We were across the hall from each other our, our first year at Seton Hall. Um, but I do I do really long for more connection. I loved that night we got together and I got to see you. I, thought, like, I
0: was nervous. I thought it was going to be horrible. Oh, I was like, so oh, it was so much be, fun. It was so healing. Yeah.
2: To, Tate, Kate was there, yeah. Patrick. Melton. Yes. Lisa. Lisa. Uh, yeah. Lisa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, it was wonderful. And I would love to do more of that. So maybe this will be inspiration to, you know, you get these, at least I do get these longings or impulses. And then I kind of watch them go by. And instead of just picking up the, like with Lougy, I mean, I texted him at what, like 11 last night and he get right back to me this morning. And it's so this easy to fantastic. connect.
1: This is the age to do it because this is the age I think where most of us are over the a lot of the insecurities that we were holding at that time and have forgotten if we ever had a conflict with somebody. And it's just so nice to be able to connect with anybody who resonates with this experience. So this is... Uh, let this be a, a public service announcement to if you know if you're in your 40s it's the time start looking at revisiting visiting yeah. yes. your life yes. i think it's 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 such a yeah and and it's such a
0: um a chance, a second chance to, to get to know people in a real way without all my self-centered fear, like taking over the conversation. So I can actually enjoy people's company. And it's like, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I'm wondering about how you transitioned into doing couples work. You mentioned John, I mean, in your bio, you know, I'm a huge John Gottman fan. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so I just am wondering how, uh, I guess my question is, how did you end up wanting to work with like couples and cause that's hard work. We're both, th- we were both therapists yes. and, I, and, oh, wow. and for me, and for me, couples was the hard, I, I would be like, Oh my God, a couple's coming in. That's on the <laughs> brink of divorce. You know,
2: that's how I ended up doing Gottman, Jen, honestly, because um, I, I loved individual therapy first. Um, and I would say that's my, that's my home. That's my, my true love is, is individual therapy, but I had that same, oh my God, a couple's coming in. What, what do I do with them? And, and so I studied a few different approaches so that I would feel like I, I had something to do with them. And I don't know, you know what I think? 20 years from now, if we were to have this interview again about my trajectory as a therapist, I think I, I would probably have a very different experience. Like there was really nothing I needed to do with couples other than what I already do with people. Um, it's just doing it with two of them at the same time. But I think out of insecurity, I search for models and templates and what, and it's, and it's all valuable. I don't regret any of the training that I've had. I love, um, Jen, you would probably, you guys both would probably love also psychobiological approach to couples therapy, Stan Tatkin's work, uh, which is very body-based and uh, a lot of integrate psychodrama and super interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that's that's how I got to studying these couples techniques was basically through, through that panic of, Oh my God, two of them are coming in. What do I do with them? I I think what you're saying about the training is
1: interesting. And I'm thinking to myself, which uh, not to say that all of these uh, approaches or, 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 um, you know, people who have become experts in their field don't have something really important to contribute. But the the thing that you really get to when you're doing the training is Identifying the thing that they're saying that's part of what you're already doing, and and reifying that, you know, making that like a stronger, Ah. more, getting the validation that yes, this instinct you have, because it is a lot of instinct therapy. I mean, that talk about the kind of person who goes to theater school. What about the type of person who becomes a therapist? Usually, a person who had to do a fair amount of. Either self-rearing or peacekeeping, or was the um, doing the emotional labor as a codependent for right, somebody my right, family, for example,
2: so, right, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you get, so you have all these wonderful instincts. Which there is a part of 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 being a good therapist, which is kind of innate and is an art more than it is a science.
2: Ab- right? Absolutely, and it's funny because I have these these conversations with uh, the the founder of our particular approach that I, I work closely with all the time, uh, and I think it's 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 likely what drew me to the work, even though there was a part of me kicking and screaming about it, that it is all about creativity and intuition, of course, within a theoretical framework, some sort of theory about healing. Um, but you're right, and this pro- approach does does really invite and encourage and see that part as essential, the therapist as the intuitive, creative human being, that it's not a a manualized thing. You can't manualize sense of self. You can't manualize Mm. instincts. And that's been, it's an interesting journey. Like I think back to that part of me in bed with all my pins and trying to manualize acting. I think this has been my, my lifelong journey to embracing the fact that everything I need, I already have to some degree, and it keeps it keeps showing up as a pattern. I think maybe that's what I'm here to learn this this life because it keeps coming up as a pattern everywhere I go finding that as an actor, as a therapist, as a parent, as a partner.
0: It's really interesting because I'm thinking of like yeah, like we're exp- when, when we're trying to um manualize uh acting. Yeah. And acting is so much about instinct and so much about body and yet we go to a conservatory where they have to Right, quantify it in some way to give grades and do, you can't just roll around on the floor and get an A plus. So there has to be some kind of measuring of like, are you getting it? But it just came out as, um, at the end for a lot of us, if you, for me, anyway, I'll speak, if you're pretty and thin, then you've, you've made it. And then if and instead of have you integrated, can you do gymnastics like can you become a horse on (laughs) the ground? That should be that should be kind of more the 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 bar standard, yeah. Right, right. Oh,
2: it's fantastic. Sorry, it is an interesting overlap with this with theater and and therapy. And of course there are principles and skills, both as a theater, as a as an actor and as a as a therapist. And how do you measure principles and skills um, alongside encouraging autonomy and creativity and following your instincts?
1: Tricky, tricky. And you're really quickly,
2: you're also
0: just someone that used school to your advantage in a really good way. Like you, you, you're schooling your, both your undergraduate and your, and your master's degrees. It's like, you really sound like you got the shit out of your, your degrees. (laughs) Like you, you, for me, I was like, "Eh," but like you used them to really, it sounds like you really soaked them. You really got, so you really squeezed them dry of the knowledge that you needed to take that knowledge and move on so that's
2: oh I appreciate you saying that Jen and 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 it's it's true and you know and I'm not a I'm not a highly spiritual person but when I look at this trajectory like something was guiding this I mean it's too weird these, this, this particular path, uh, these repeating patterns, these repeating lessons that I got the opportunity to learn them on a deeper and deeper and deeper level through each adventure.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Just keep learning the lesson in different modalities, in different contexts. That's, I love that. That's a great way to, I mean, talking about getting the most out of something, that's the great way to get the most out of your life, to always be learning in whatever context you're in. Right. Well, we're going to have to end, but I know you have a wonderful website, so tell us where we can find you. My
2: website is therapywithbridget.com. That's right. That's Check great. It out. I love Check it. it. Thank you, Bridget. Oh, you guys, you, you're welcome. It was so good to see you guys. See so you good soon. To the <laughs> and we will do it again in 20 years. Let's
1: go. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Ink production. Jen Bosworth-Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.